0: I was thinking about today in this message, what would I share, not wrapped around legacy per se, but around some things that I really feel like we ought to have non-negotiables in our life over. I really felt like every one of us should have non-negotiables. Matter of fact, I know for sure, Jesus had some non-negotiables. And you could maybe come up with a, a bigger and a broader, more, you know, different, list than what I've got. But I wrote down three of the biggest, I think, non-negotiables Jesus lived with in his life. And I want you to come with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author, and the perfecter or the finisher of our faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. I love that thought that he is the pioneer. Pioneer means... He's getting it started. He's the origin. He's the beginning. He's the pioneer of your faith. And he's the perfecter of your faith. Now, watch this. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me tell you what was non negotiable for Jesus the cross. There was never an option for him. It was never open to the idea of it, even when he was tempted and he said, Lord, if it's possible, please let this cup pass from me. He still ultimately said, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And it was the will of the Father that Jesus went to the cross. Can I encourage you to make sure that we as Christians, that we actually see the cross as non-negotiable, that as Christians we understand that we are all, the Bible says, born in sin and in need of a Savior, and there is only one way to get to God, and that is through Jesus, and Jesus went to the cross because mankind was lost, and can I just say, let's not lose the non-negotiable of the cross in our lives. Come on, somebody say amen. Think about the time that Peter went to Jesus, and Jesus was saying I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to lay down my life to be a ransom for many. And even Peter went to Jesus going, Lord, we've got your itinerary marked out. We've got this whole plan. What's this idea? What's this conversation that you're about to die? And he said, Lord, that's just not on the schedule. And I love what Jesus said to Peter. Listen, because the cross was non-negotiable, who for the joy... That was set before him, endured the cross, not worrying about the scorn or the shame because he had a joy that was in the other side of the cross that if he went to the cross and he laid down his life, he who knew no sin became sin that we might live, then he would know, Jesus would know, that salvation would come for all mankind. How many thank God for the cross? Come on. So here's Peter. Come on, Jesus, what are you talking about? The cross, dying, that's just not good. And I love what Jesus said to him. Get thee behind me, Satan. In that moment, even though Peter was one of the inner 12, even though Peter was on the inside in in the inner three, in that moment, he saw Peter's voice as an enemy to why he was born. He identified, even though it's Peter speaking, it is actually the enemy trying to divert Jesus from going to the cross. Can I encourage us? The Bible says that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world, and just because somebody Johnny come lately called Peter comes along and starts saying we got a better idea, Jesus from the, before the foundations of the world, before God ever said let there be light, before God ever created this world in which we live, Jesus was predestined by God to go to the cross. Come on, how many thank God for the cross? I tell you, another non-negotiable of Jesus, I think, without a doubt, is number one, the cross, but number two, the church. I think the church was completely a non-negotiable. Another way of saying that is God's house. How many thank God for the church? I want you to look at this. Psalm Psalm 69, verse nine. It says, for zeal, this is here David writing prophetically about the coming Messiah, about Jesus who was to come. And he says, one of the ways in which we will know who the Messiah is, is written here in Psalm 69. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. So here is the author of Psalm 69. And this is how you'll know who the, excuse me, who the Messiah is. Many people will come. Many people will be claimed to be a prophet. Many will come and claim to be the Messiah. But when the Messiah truly has come, you'll know who He is by one of the things that will mark Him is a zeal for the house of God. Well, let's look at that in the New Testament as the disciples begin to see the love that Jesus has for God's house. John 2 verse 14. In the temple courts where? the temple courts, in the house of God. He found those selling, found people selling cattle, sheep, and dove. Others were sitting at tables exchanging money. So he, Jesus, made a whip out of cords and he drove out all, all of them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Can anybody see that Jesus is not very happy right now? And it says here, watch this, and he goes, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered that it is written in Psalm 69, verse nine, the zeal for your house consumes me. Now I know we have people today who don't really understand this Bible verse. And they come along and say, that's right, we shouldn't be selling CDs and, you know, things, coffee shops out in the sanctuary or in the auditor- in the lobby area, because this is God's house, and that's why Jesus went in, and he all those, you know, that were money exchanges and, you know, listen, if you think that, you don't understand what the verse is about. You see, what Jesus was mad about was we were supposed to bring our sacrifice to the house of God. See, these people were coming to the temple, and depending on what was for sale in the temple, and they were looking for a cheap sheep, they were looking for the, for the Target red light special. How much is that sheep? Oh, that one's a bit expensive. How much is your sheep? Well, that one's less expensive. Therefore, I'll give a sacrifice, I'll buy That sacrifice, and I'll bring my and I'll depend for what's happening in the temple for my worship and what I will give in my worship. And when Jesus saw that these things were being sold, people weren't bringing their sacrifice to the temple, they were depending on what was going on in the temple. That's a little bit like when we come to church do they play our favorite song? Is the preacher preaching my favorite preacher? Is the music how I like it? And we depend on whether we worship and how we praise by what's going on in the temple rather than the scripture that says we Bring the sacrifice of praise unto the house of their God. It doesn't matter what's going on on the stage. When I come into the house of God, I'm bringing my faith. I'm 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 bringing people that don't know Jesus. I'm believing people are going to get saved. I don't care what's going on in around the world. I'm not even dependent on what's happening, coming off the stage and what's going on. I bring my faith. Get that out of here. We bring our sacrifice. We bring our praise. Amen? Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. So Jesus' second non-negotiable, I believe, was God's house. The third one, and I think this is really important, and it kind of speaks to the first two, is the ultimate defeat over Satan. That beyond a doubt, a non-negotiable. I love what Josh was talking about when Joe Riddle said, no negotiation with the enemy. Amen to that. You see, without a doubt, a non-negotiable for Jesus was the defeat over the enemy. He wanted to see the enemy defeated. Did you know the very first prophecy in the Bible, Genesis 3, verse 15, very first prophecy in the Bible, out of the seed of the woman, speaking of Eve after she'd fallen into sin, she and Adam, and out of the seed of the woman, out of her offspring will come a child that will come, devil. He will bruise his heel, and he will crush your head. Here is God speaking prophetically about the coming Messiah. And without a doubt, a non-negotiable for Jesus was to see the devil defeated. How many believe that ought to be a non-negotiable in our lives? The Bible says that we are to give no foothold. To the devil, not even an inch, don't give. There's no room for negotiation with the enemy. Look at Luke chapter 4. How do we know this was Jesus non negotiable? It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, to set those who are oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus realised he was anointed by God to see people healed, to see those who were broken hearted, to see those who were tormented by the power of the enemy, to see them absolutely healed and delivered in the name of Jesus. Acts 10:38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And listen to it, he went about doing good, healing all who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. How many are glad today that Jesus has a non-negotiable to this day, yeah. that he is gonna defeat the enemy? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. The Bible says this, In 1 John 3, verse 8, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest, that He might destroy the work of the enemy. Can I encourage you today that healing is the will of God? Can I encourage you never to see sickness as being God's will? Never see it. Can I encourage you, the Bible says, we will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It is never... Ever the will of God for you and I to have sickness. Now, we do get sick. Amen? By the grace of God, I was saying, I've been boasting a little too much. I better be careful, praise the Lord. But I've been saying the last seven years, I haven't had a cold. I haven't had the flu. I haven't had any illness of that whatsoever. And I want to tell you, I believe that is a non-negotiable in my life. I believe it is the will of God for me to live in health and wholeness and healing. I believe part of the atonement, the theological foundation in which I understand why Jesus went to the cross, that he bore our sins and by his stripes we are healed. I will always pray for the sick. I will always pray for healing. My Bible tells me we will lay hands on the sick and they shall be healed. Now, I know that not everybody I pray for that is sick gets healed, but that doesn't mean I won't pray for anybody who is sick. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, somebody say amen. I trust God regardless. I don't believe, just, I don't just trust God. In, I don't have faith just in the outcome. I have faith in God. Right. Yeah. Amen. amen. And if the outcome isn't what I want it to be, doesn't change the fact that I know it is always the will of God to pray for people to be healed. Come on, somebody. Somebody needs to catch this. And sometimes we learn to live with things that God, that's why I just kind of feel like we got to step it up right now in Wave Church, in our prayer, in our fasting, and believing God for breakthroughs. Why? Because listen to it. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with power, and He went about doing good. Listen, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Because God was with him. Can I encourage you today? Let a fresh rise in your, let a fresh faith rise in you. Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. Let's believe God for marriages to be healed. Let's believe God for cancer to be healed. Let's step it up against tumors. Let's believe God for medical breakthroughs in Jesus' name. Well, here's the thought. Now all that's been given to us. And now we better figure out what our non-negotiables are. Yeah. Amen? Because Jesus, number one, listen to it now. I want, you to care, I want you to think about it. His non-negotiable was the cross. His second non-negotiable was the church. And the third non-negotiable was defeat over the enemy. Now, friends, you and I, we can't defeat the enemy. Amen? We have no power over the enemy. But it's no longer I live's but Christ that now lives in me. And no weapon formed against me shall prosper because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Come on, somebody needs to get excited. So I wonder what your non-negotiables are. For me, in the last 11 months, I've had to build uh, what I would say is an important non-negotiable, but I had to build it as a non-negotiable of life. I just decided I want to get in better shape. I want to be fitter. I want to be stronger. I want to be healthier. So I set a non-negotiable 11 months ago that I will go to the gym four days a week. Now that sounded like not too much of an unrealistic goal, except if you knew how much I travel. It is a nightmare sometimes trying to go to a gym when you're in different cities and different countries all over the world. But I said it as if this is not even open to interpretation this as important as eating every day and so even though I could have easily found excuses to not go to the gym because I was on an airplane I'm jet lagged I just went it doesn't matter where I am it is as important to me that I work out as actually eating food and I've had to choose between a workout and having breakfast lunch or dinner I'll do the workout well you got to know I love food friends and so I don't think I've missed too many meals because of that non-negotiable. So I wonder what kind of, now that's, that's more of a health non-negotiable for me. But I wonder what are our non-negotiables if push came to shove. So Joshua 24, Joshua said, I want you to choose this day who you're going to serve. He goes, now, if you want to serve the gods that your fathers served in Egypt, then you serve them. Listen to Joshua. He gave us a good non-negotiable. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I wonder whether serving the Lord is a non-negotiable. Joshua was drawing a line in the sand. Do you know the tragedy of that verse? Do you know the sadness of that story? Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I will say Joshua was a great leader. Joshua took the children of Israel into the promised land. But did you know that the next generation after Joshua, his offspring didn't know the Lord? So I wonder how intentional we are in making sure that God's house is really a non-negotiable. As to serving God, you can say it's a non-negotiable, but is that reflected in your regular attendance of church? Is it reflected in your Regular and daily reading the Word of God in your house and your family knowing God. I want to encourage us. I love it says in Deuteronomy chapter thirty verse fifteen, and here is this scripture where the Bible says, "Now I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Now you choose." God gives us the power over of choice, and He goes, "I've set before you what's now life." And death, blessing, and cursing—I've said them before you. And God gives you and I the power of choice. And God says, "Now you choose." Well, that's a pretty easy decision: life or death. How many are choosing life, blessing or cursing? How many are choosing blessing and not cursing? But God still gives us the power. Of choice. You might have right now a really sad and a sorry marriage. And you might say, Right now, my, my marriage is more on the cursed side than it is on the blessed side. And you might say, But I never chose this. But can I tell you, your words are choosing? The way you speak to your wife or to your husband. God gives you the power of choice, and you may not have said, I choose a sad and a sorry marriage, but if you don't understand that God's given you the power of choice and you've got to build a non-negotiable, then I'm going to have a blessed marriage. I believe in God for a healthy marriage. By not choosing that, you've automatically chosen the other. You might say, I'm living in lack, I'm living in poverty. I never choose these financial need and all my financial challenges. But if you're spending more than you're earning, if you're not managing your finances well, come on, God says, I said before you, blessing or cursing. God's given us the power of choice. So I wonder what your non-negotiables are. I wrote down three. Here are three non-negotiables that I believe we, every Christian, should have. Number one, this one may surprise some of you. It's the most basic, elementary, non-negotiable that Jesus gave the church when he left. And I don't believe for a second it's changed. Yet I believe we live in a world that everything that I'm about to talk to you about would try to get you... So focused on you that you could lose sight of the most elementary, fundamental, foundational, essential ingredient that every Christian should have as a non-negotiable. And I think the enemy has done a good job making us become navel gazers, has actually done a good job getting us to focus too much on ourselves and not enough on this. Are you ready for this? Listen to this to reach the world with the gospel. That has to be a non-negotiable. How many believe it is the role of the church, you and I? Because remember now, Jesus had his non-negotiables. And now he says, now it's up to you. I've done what I've done. I've, I've gone to the cross. I've defeated the enemy. I've taught you the importance of the house of God. And listen to what he says, Matthew 28. It says, and Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you even till the end of the age. Does anybody have that as a non negotiable in your life? That we are as the church called to reach and influence this world? Is that a really important non-negotiable in your life, that we're a part of something that is the church that God is building and that God has called us as a church to reach the whole world? Come on, somebody. Can anybody give God some praise for that one? I love this Psalm 2, verse 8. It says, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. And the ends of the earth, your possession. I'm amazed how many people go after this. How many people go after the the nations as inheritance. The only people that don't seem to want it is the church. Everybody else is after it, but the church just says, if we're not careful, we can just live for ourselves. God says, ask of me. I'll give you nations. And some of us are still asking God to help us get over our bad temper. God's got nations in mind. And God's going, ask of me. Listen, I'll give you nations. When was the last time we asked God for a nation? When was the last time we really said, Lord, give us Africa. God, give us the Middle East. Let's believe God for revival across the Islamic nations of this world and see the power of the cross preached in those nations. God, help us through media and television. God, give us nations. God. Wants to give nations to the church. Everybody but the church wants it. But God has it set aside as an inheritance. Nations. See, I told some some of you aren't going to resonate with this. Because we're thinking about COVID. We're thinking about a bank account. We're thinking about college. We're thinking about earth life. We're thinking about just us getting out of debt. We're just thinking about survival. We're just thinking about paying the bills. But God says, come on, unto Him who was able to do abundantly, exceedingly above all that you could ever ask or think. Come on, church, we gotta think big. God has nations for us. Some of us are trying to, Get over our addiction to chocolate. And God wants to give us nations. Come on. Do you know the neediest person I've ever met in my life? I thought about this. I've been to some of the poorest countries in the world. I've been to Albania. I, I, I've been to Hungary. I've been to Romania. I've been to Soweto. I've been to Alexandria. I've been to India. In a week's time, I'm flying to India again. And in India where I'm flying, Mother Teresa termed this phrase, the deplorables. That's where some political people talk about other political people calling others deplorables. This is where the term was given by Mother Teresa. Where I'm going is the poorest of the poor in India. I can't wait to go. I'm excited about going. I'm going to be preaching at a church leadership conference and I'm believing God for a deposit in them that God can do something great in their lives. But they're not the neediest people. And they have need, trust me, they have need. I was in Singapore and then I went into Malaysia. I went to a place called Malacca, just caught a local bus. Just wanted to see kind of how people live. Didn't want to just stay... Where everybody else, the tourists are. I said to Sharon, let's get on the bus and meet the locals. And let's go from Singapore into Malaysia. We'll go to Malacca. And I'm telling you, I've seen some of the neediest people in my life. They literally deform their babies, one child. And that one child becomes the beggar for the family. The more severe the deformity of the child, the more likely of revenue would come. Because people couldn't stand to look at the severity of the, of the injuries of this child. And then that child would become the beggar for the whole family. I've seen some of the most unspeakable things I've ever seen. In Suedo, South Africa, some of the poorest of the poor. Albania, my God. Went into Romania. Took my breath away. And they have need But I've seen them happier. I've seen them smile more than some Christians I know. And sometimes I'll ask a Christian, tell me, what what is it you're believing God for? Do you know what they say? I'm good. They say, I have no need. My friend, if you say that, you're the neediest person I've ever met. You need a bigger heart. Amen. You need to open your eyes to the world in which we live. You need a bigger burden. You need to live for something bigger and greater than yourself. You are the most needy person I've ever met. Because if you think I'm good and I have no need in my life, I want to tell you, you're the most neediest person I know. I know people who say they have no need. And I want to tell you, you need your eyes to be anointed, to see the lost and the doom and the dying. You need your heart to be broken and understand that God has put within you and I the ability to ask God of nations and he will give us the nations. You need to see the power of the cross and the power of the church and how that we can have victory over the enemy. You need a bigger heart. You need a bigger vision. You need to see how the devil is blind to people and they are doomed and they are lost and without Christ, they're bound for a Christless eternity. You need to see the empty seats in this building today and it needs to do... something to you and it needs to cause you to rise up and say, I'm going to bring people to the house of God, my friend. You need to share your faith more. Come on, somebody say amen. So I think the first non-negotiable we need to have is to understand that we're here to reach the lost. We're here to influence our world and it has to be a non-negotiable in our life. The second thing that I think we got to have is a non-negotiable. And I mean this with all my heart. Church, since the day I give my life to Jesus, I've tried to live this. To live by faith. We need to live by faith. Two plus two equals four on any mathematical equation you want to give it. Amen? All right? There's no trick to this. Two plus two equals four. Yes, but why do we call it two? Stop. Two of these plus two of these, equals this. Got it? Okay, that's called living earth life. Okay, but we're called to live by faith. And I've lived this to the best of my ability. And this is three words I live by. Always, only faith. I can't afford to let everything I think come out of my mouth. There's some things I can't afford to say. Yeah. Oh, that'll never happen. They'll never get saved. Because I wanna tell you, when I first came to Virginia Beach, a lot of people said, that'll never happen. It's like the bumblebee. Physiologically speaking, the bumblebee's weight and body weight is, not, is too strong and too great and too heavy for a bumblebee's wings to carry it. But nobody told the bumblebee, why? Because the bumblebee was made in the image of God and the likeness of God. And even though the bumblebee's wings can't literally handle the weight of the body of the bee, the bee flies. Why? Because God made the bee. And God made you. And God made me. And we're not called to live in a natural world. We're called to be people who live by faith. Always only faith. Faith. Yeah, the doctors say this. Some people have more faith in doctors than they do the Word of God. And I'm not afraid to face facts. I'm not afraid to listen to what doctors say. I'm not even really, I want to know what the doctors say because I want to know what I'm believing God for, for the miracle. I'm speaking to someone today. You've got to learn how to live your life with faith. And it's got to be a non-negotiable. Come on. So in other words, words matter. Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Hebrews 11, verse one. When is faith? Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for. Assurance about what? What we do not see. So when is faith? If it's not now, it's not faith. Some people live with hope. But hope in and of itself is not faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for; It's the evidence of things not yet seen. Evidence, substance, evidence. Talk to a lawyer about how important those words are. Substance, evidence. Now, faith is. Well, I believe one day God could bless me. No, I'm believing God now. And I have evidence of things I don't yet see. Come on. I came here 25 years ago. I told the church, I'm going to believe God that one day we'll have a house on the Chesapeake Bay on the water. I got to tell you that in the natural, it was impossible. But I had faith through. And today by God's goodness and God's grace, and I kept believing for it, we now have a home on the Chesapeake Bay. It's a little canal. Don't get don't get too little canal. But it's a cute little canal. And I've got my boat there. And I can ride my boat to the gym. I can drive my boat to my golf course. And I gotta tell you, how'd that happen? By faith. You say, well, how'd that happen? I want to show you what happens. Romans 4, verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope. Now remember, hope is good, but hope is not faith. Amen. It's the seed of faith. It's the beginnings of faith. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. So he became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Watch this now. Here's the key. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Can I encourage you that there's a non-negotiable that I believe we should live with? And that is to live with this idea, always, only faith. We walk and we live by faith, not by sight. We can face the facts, whatever the doctor says, and we will not waver in, in belief. But against all hope, in hope, we believe for miracles, for breakthrough, for healing, for blessing. Come on, somebody. We got to learn how to walk on the water. The water won't hold you, but the Word of God will hold you. One word from God, and all of a sudden, you're a water walker. You're believing God for blessing. You're believing God for nations. You're believing God for breakthroughs. Can I encourage you? You've got to have a non-negotiable, always, only faith. Faith for miracles. Faith for provision. Turn water into wine. Supernatural catch a fish. Tumors to be gone. I'll finish with this story. My time's up. It was right toward the end of our time in Australia. I get a phone call from our senior pastor. There's a family in our church who live just down the road, maybe a mile from my house. And our senior pastor says, Steve, I need you to go to the Douglas family. Robin, who we knew well, she's one of our neighbors, just found her little baby, Tyler, 16, 18 months of age. He drowned in a pool. No parent wants to hear this story. I, I tell the story to build faith. And the doctor had already arrived, did what the doctor could do, but ultimately had pronounced the baby as gone, deceased. Steve, would you please go and comfort the mother that she was getting all the family ready. The husband was coming home from an overseas business trip and everybody got, everybody got busy cleaning the house and everybody thought somebody else was watching Tyler and Tyler went out into the backyard. Gate around the pool was left open and Tyler got into the pool. And I remember getting that phone call. And I'm thinking as I'm driving over to the Douglas family house, in my father's house, there are many mansions. I'm thinking of trying to encourage them about the reality of heaven and eternity as any good pastor would. To help someone to see perspective of eternity. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want and though I walk through the valley in the shadow of death, and that's what death is on, on earth life. It's just a shadow of death. It's not death itself. We just go from this world into another world. As painful as that is, as sorrowful as it is for us on earth life, losing a loved one, can I tell this to you? It's just the shadow of death Real life and real death comes after this life. Come on, somebody. And I'm thinking about all these scriptures when all of a sudden Romans jumped in me. Against all hope, in hope, Abraham believed. He faced the fact that body was as good as dead, but he trusted and believed God without wavering his faith. And I remember getting to the house Where's the baby? And I saw Mum holding the baby. I said, mom, are you ready? She goes, yes. I said, let's pray. We've got nothing to lose. Come on, somebody. Against all hope, in hope. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke death. And I command this baby to live. When all of a sudden, the baby began to give a drowning cry. Water started coming out of the baby's mouth. The mother looked. I looked. The doctor couldn't believe it. And the doctor said, no, I. please don't think I'm mad at doctors. Please don't think I'm mad at them. I understand doctors have to do what doctors do. I understand their training, their professionalism, their experience, their knowledge. It's way more than I'll ever understand. But against all hope, in hope, I can believe. And the doctor said, this is the worst thing that could have happened. How is this the worst thing? The baby was dead and now it's crying, it's alive, it's breathing. There's air in its lungs. Its heart is beating. How's this bad? And the doctor said, understandably, well, this baby's been deceased with no oxygen, no no heartbeat, no brain activity. The lining of the chlorine in the pool would have eaten away at the baby's lungs. And therefore its lungs won't be functional and the baby will be brain damaged. And I said, doc, We've already got one miracle. Let's go for two. In the name of Jesus, this baby will not have any brain damage. It will be completely healed and whole. I command it. I speak it. And I thank you, Father, for the miracle that's already before us. But I thank you, Father, for every T will be crossed and every I will be dotted. And we took that baby, put that baby in an ambulance. I took the young kids, put them in my car. And as I was driving down the street, following the ambulance to the hospital, I said to the the boys, they couldn't stop staring at the ambulance. And I said, boys, stop looking at the ambulance and crying. I want you to see what I'm seeing. I see angels watching over the top of that ambulance. And there's an angel by God that is predestined and created by God to take care of, the well being of your little brother. I want you to see the angels and they said, Amen, amen. That baby was home two days later and today is a worship leader doing great things for God. Can I encourage you? Come on, we've got to have a non negotiable that we're going to live by faith and not by sight. We believe in God. God of miracles, who believes in the non-negotiation of the cross and believes in the power of the church. Can I encourage you today? we got to believe God to see the enemy defeated. we got to see our world saved. We've got to see that we got to live by faith and not by sight. I'm here today to stir you. Come on. I don't just want you standing up and clapping. I want the Word of God to be imparted into you I want you to receive this in your spirit, church. We live by faith. we got to have some non-negotiables. Can anybody say now?